Today's message on the Tower of Babel got me to thinking. I started thinking about another piece of real estate that I visited while I was in New York City about five years ago. I'm talking about the Trump Tower. Here's a picture of it. It's 68 stories of glass and steel scraping the sky of Fifth Avenue's New York City. When it was originally built back in 1983, it was the tallest all-glass structure in Manhattan. It has 26 stories of luxury offices. It has 38 stories of over-the-top elite luxury residences, whatever an elite luxury residence is. It has the Trump Bar and the Trump Grill. And of course, it's owned by you-know-who. That's right, Donald Trump. The Donald. Now, whether you like him or not, we can all agree that Donald Trump has made a name for himself. He's a man that admittedly loves to hear about himself. His desk, I have a picture of it right here, is filled with magazines where his name just happened to be on the cover. And just like the Trump Tower, I think that every property that he develops somehow has his name associated with it. Donald Trump loves his name. And he's not ashamed to do whatever he can to make that name great. He's even running for president. Now, I don't know Donald Trump, and I'm not judging him here today. I have far too many planks in my own eyes for that. When I look into my own heart, I see far too much there that desires for for me to make a great name for myself. I see my own desire for power, for riches, for influence, for popularity. I see all of that crouching at the door of my heart. And it has controlled me before. And it will again if I let it. Why is there something within all of us that identifies with Donald Trump? It's because we all want to make a name for ourselves. We all want to be rich or famous or powerful. We all want to be recognized because of who we are. We all want to be sought after. Because we're the very, most very gifted at what we do. Deep down, all of us want our names to be great. In today's story, we meet some of Donald Trump's forefathers in the real estate development business. (laughs) Before we talk about them, though, let's catch up on our storyline together. It's up here on the screens. Uh, Don't make me read it by myself. Let's read it together aloud, okay? Before anything existed, there was an amazing being called God. God is the author of life and creates all things to glorify himself. 
Satan rebels against God, but God is holy and always does what is good and right and perfect. God creates Adam and Eve in his image to love him and one another according to his design. But sin corrupts God's design and separates humanity from him and one another. Cain then murders his brother because of jealousy. God, grieved by human sin, starts again, flooding the earth and sparing only Noah and his family and at least two of every animal. People set out to make a name for themselves and build a city for their own glory. So God gives them different languages and scatters them across the world. Today's part of the story, a story that comes from the Bible in Genesis chapter 11. It's what we just read. People set out to make a name for themselves and they build a city for their own glory. And God gives them different languages and scatters them across the world. The story of God continues like this. After the flood, Noah's descendants filled the earth. And as they migrated eastward, some of Noah's descendants found themselves on the plains of Shinar. We know that land today as Iraq. Their leader, Scripture tells us in Genesis 10, was a man named what? Does anyone know who their leader was? It's written there in Scripture. Anyone? Nimrod. Ding, ding, ding. Well done. His name was Nimrod. Now, in those days, everybody spoke the same language. And when Nimrod and his people made it to the plains of Shinar, they stopped. They didn't keep going. They stopped. And they had a great idea. Let's build a beautiful city for ourselves. We'll finally have a home. We can finally settle down and have that place of our own. Then someone else chimed in. Let's not just build a city. Let's build a really tall tower that will reach all the way up to the heavens. Now, the flood hadn't been that long ago, so everybody thought that was a great idea. Yes, they said. With a tower like that, we'll be safe. And you know what? Everyone will look up to us. They'll see the tower that we've built from miles around, and they'll know who we are. We'll be safe and famous. Nimrod and his people thought that their plan was pretty great. They could stay together. They could be safe. And they would make a name for themselves. People would see that tower and think how amazing Nimrod and his people just must be. But God saw what was going on. God came down to look at what Nimrod and his people were doing. And God wasn't pleased. God knew the rebellious hearts of Nimrod and his people. He knew that they were trying to live without him. He knew how they were trying to rise above him. Look, 
God said. The people all speak the same language. They're united in this plan. One people, one language, one plan. And they've only just begun. If we allow this to continue, their rebellious spirits won't stop there. Their independent spirits will only rise up against us more and more. It was in that moment that the justice of God moved him to stop them in their rebellion. But at the same time, God's heart of love and mercy led him to redirect Nimrod and his people rather than destroy them. God had a plan. Let's confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. And so God changed their languages. And suddenly, no one understood what anyone else was saying. Everything became confusing. Construction on the city and the tower came to a screeching halt. That's why the city is called Babel. Because it's where the Lord confused the people with different languages. And from the plains of Shinar, God dispersed them and scattered them across the earth. This is the story that we call the Tower of Babel. I want to stop for just a second. It's probably a question you're asking. Why am I making such a big deal about Nimrod. You've probably heard this story a bunch of times and nobody's ever spoken that name before. We find his name in Genesis chapter 10. It's in one of those genealogies that we're so glad to find in our Bible in a year plan because we tend to just skip through them, right? But Nimrod is important. He's important to understanding this story. And why God responds as he does. You see, the name Nimrod means literally one who rebels. As Nimrod and his people started developing Babel with its tower that reached to the heavens, they lived in to the name of their leader. What they did was an act of rebellion against God. You see, Nimrod and his people, they were defying God's mandate. Remember that mandate, the one that God gave to, to Noah and Adam before him, saying that their descendants should fill the earth? See, Nimrod and his people's desire to all settle in one place was in direct defiance of God's mandate upon them. And even worse... By building the tower, they were trying to make themselves safe from God's judgment. That tower was Nimrod and his people essentially shaking their fist at God. It was a supreme display of arrogance. It shouted out to God that they wouldn't be stopped by him. Send the flood. We've got a tall tower. The tower was also a means for them to make their names great 
to glorify themselves in the eyes of men and to exalt themselves above God himself. But when we look at this story, we see that nothing turned out as Nimrod and his people expected doing. By seeking unity with one another, apart from God, and contrary to God's design, they end up being unable to understand one another and scattered across the earth. It's a picture of complete and utter disunity. And their thought that they would make a name for themselves didn't work out either. Think about it. What are you saying when you call someone a nimrod? You're saying that they're a dimwit, an idiot. The great name that Nimrod sought has instead become an insult. Coincidence? I don't think so. We all recognize some of Nimrod's story in each of our own, don't we? It's why we identify with Donald Trump. It's what sin has done to our hearts. Sin stirs the independent spirits within each of us. And our independent spirits lead us to rebel against God, to make our own names, to build our own towers. Our independent spirits tell us that we don't need God, that we can do better, and that we can actually rise above him. I know it to be true in my own story. Throughout my life, I've laid, a, I've built a lot of towers that had a, a foundation that was other than Jesus Christ. In my youth, the bricks of that tower were grades, and the tower itself was academic achievement. In my 20s, school was out, and so I decided to make my name using the mortar of success in business and in my legal career. It was a tower, I thought, that would lead to financial independence and true security, true security for me and my family. But the thing that I discovered about building my own towers, about making my own name, was that it takes a lot of work. No matter how high my tower was, someone else's tower was always a little higher. Their tower looked a little better. And the towers were also usually pretty easily destroyed. Make just one mistake, just one, and your name is tarnished. Whole floors of that tower come crashing down in an instant. Floors that you spent years building. And my towers didn't offer the protection that I had hoped for. You see, the storms of life still came. And they didn't do anything to protect me. Making a name for myself. Building my own towers. 
Y'all, that was exhausting. I couldn't manage the upkeep. And the towers never made good on their promises. No matter how high they got, I was always feeling unsatisfied. They were never quite good enough. What towers have you built? How have you tried to make a name for yourself? Has it turned out like you thought it would? Or like Nimrod? Like me? Have you gotten exactly the opposite of what you hoped for? Jesus says there is a different way. He has good news for me, for Nimrod, and for you. He tells us his way is better. It's a way not based on what we can do. It's a way that's not based on the name that we can make for ourselves. See, the good news is that Just like at Babel, God sees all of the towers that we have built in our hearts. And in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, God has come down to each one of us. He knows the independent spirits that we have, and yet he pursues us. Despite our rebellion against him, he comes down to us not to condemn us, or destroy us. He comes down to forgive us. He comes down to redirect us, just like he did with Nimrod and his people. He comes down, y'all, to save us from ourselves. The good news is that the judgments of God at Babel have been redeemed. In Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit came just as Jesus promised he would. And on the day of Pentecost, the disunity caused by Nimrod's rebellion and God's judgment in confusing the languages was undone. Men and women from different nations, people that spoke many different languages, heard the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own native tongue. And Nimrod's disordered desire for unity apart from God was redeemed by God's people experiencing the power of the gospel and becoming unified under the lordship of Jesus Christ. On the day of Pentecost, Jesus began to fulfill his promise to draw all peoples of the earth to himself. And grace, it's a promise that he continues to fulfill today, right here, right now, amongst us in San Antonio, Texas. It's good news that doesn't stop there. Incredibly, Jesus offers us even something more. See, the gospel tells us that we can stop striving to make our own names. The gospel tells us that we don't have to build our own towers anymore. A name greater than we could ever achieve for ourselves is freely available to us in the person of Jesus Christ. 
It's a gift. All we have to do is acknowledge all of those ways that we have rebelled against God, the ways that we have sinned against him. And then we surrender. We stop opposing Christ's lordship in our life. We actually surrender to it. And we welcome him and his Holy Spirit to dwell in our hearts and make us new creations in him. I began to learn something of this truth about names at the age of 18. You might not guess it now, but in high school I played basketball. And going into my senior year, I knew I wasn't the best player on the team by far. You know, by the time you're 18, um, white man's disease is kind of fully set in at that point. But I knew what I could contribute. You see, I could do whatever I could to make all of my other teammates better, to make my team better. So that offseason, I hit the weight room. I ran stands in 100-degree weather. I practiced late. I watched Dennis Rodman, who was playing for the Bulls at that time. I studied what the man has perfected. There's a lot of things about Dennis Rodman you don't want to study, but basketball is one of them. The man could set screens. The man could block out, get rebounds, and he played tenacious defense. My desire in all of that in the offseason was to serve my team to make my teammates better, to make the scores better scores, to make the stars on our team bigger stars. That season, I never had any impressive stat lines. I never scored the most points in a game, and I only made the newspaper one time, and that was somebody taking a picture of my back as one of my friends came around the screen to get an open shot. I didn't set out to make a name for myself that year. But something unexpected happened to me. You see, my teammates gave me a name. It's a name that sounds a little funny now. But it's a name that I really still look back on and cherish. My teammates started to call me Bruiser. My teammates in all of Temple High and maybe now all of Grace Northridge will start calling me Bruiser. (laughs) It was a great name. That year I received a better name for myself than I ever could have made on my own. The paradox is that in Jesus' kingdom, the one who is least is actually the one who is great. Striving and clawing for the greatness of our own names keeps us from receiving the greatest of names. But when we stop striving, when we surrender ourselves and our name in service to Jesus Christ, he freely offers his name to us. 
He connects us with his name, the name that is above every name in heaven and on earth and under the earth. He gives us the name Christian. And oh, what a name it is. It's the name that our hearts long for. It's the name that we were created for. It's a name that declares that sinners have become saints. We become the united people of God enjoying the promises of Christ's kingdom and declaring Jesus' fame for all eternity. It's what this church is celebrating on this particular day, All Saints Day. It's a name that ushers us into God's kingdom. You see, no longer are we rebels or strangers, but because of the name, we become citizens. It's a name that offers the security that we long for. Because, as Proverbs tells us, the name of the Lord is a mighty tower, a place where we can find safety in the storms of this life. And it's a name that ushers us into the most royal of families. The name confirms our adoption as sons and daughters of the Most High King. And unified together in his name, we are called beloved. Because as his church, we are the very bride of Christ. The name that Jesus gives us is more incredible than anything that we could imagine. It's far better than any name that we could make for ourselves. Jesus has come down for all of us this morning. He sees us right where we are. He sees us. And he loves us. And wherever we are, whether we have never received the gift of his grace, or if we've been walking with him for many, many decades, his desire today, his desire right now, is to draw you closer to him. The question for each one of us, is how will we respond? Will it be with the clenched fist of Nimrod? Will it be to close our eyes and refuse to see, to see what the Holy Spirit is revealing to the eyes of our hearts? Or will it be to bow our hearts and kneel down before the one who is our Lord and our maker. This morning as you come to Jesus at his communion table, come with faith and thanksgiving. Receive the forgiveness that Christ died on the cross for each one of us, for you and me to receive. Enjoy the fellowship with God that is available to us through Christ's resurrection. Open your heart to the Holy Spirit.
Allow him to stir your hearts and give you a passion for that name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. And as you eat the bread and drink the wine, remember that Jesus restores the image and likeness of God upon each one of us. You see, once we were not a people, and now we are a people. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation that Jesus has sent into the world so that the world might know him. We've been given a mandate. It's a mandate to go out, to be his great commandment, great commission people, to be ambassadors of his kingdom in this neighborhood, throughout the Broadway corridor, and in this city. To live every moment of our lives for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. Let that response, Grace, be the response of our hearts today. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Jesus, we come to you as the one who the Father has bestowed upon the name that is above every name. And we are humbled, Lord, by the opportunity to kneel ourselves and bow down at your feet. Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit into our hearts right now. That you would have your way with them. That you would show us all of the ways that we have been seeking to make a name for ourselves. All of the towers that we have been building. And call us to your better way. Because, Lord Jesus, we know that you are the way. That you are the truth. And you are the life. So, Lord Jesus, come. Come now, we ask. In your name.